My guest today on the program, well, I guess you could say he's a bit of a natural. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of The Natural. <laughs> I know, I'm so clever. Uh, a band which features my guest today on the program, Kip Berman. Let me tell you a little bit about The Natural and Kip Berman. Well, if Kip Berman's name sounds familiar to you, that's for good reason. He fronted the beloved indie rock outfit The Pains of Being Pure at Heart from 2007 to 2018. The New York band put out four perfect albums, culminating in 2017's The Echoes of Pleasure, and they called it a day not long after that. Spry, thoughtful, emotive, and catchy, their output is an absolute treasure trove, and as soon as you dive in, you'll see exactly why their music charted everywhere from Belgium to France to Spain, and they found themselves playing shows as far as China. There's a universality and a purity to their music that's decidedly uniting. The Philadelphia-born Berman has put his old band in the rearview mirror, moved to New Jersey, and become a father. And he's emerged under the moniker The Natural. And even though I love Pains, I think this is the best work Kip Berman has ever done. His debut album, Tethers, is a wistful blast of crunchy, howling indie rock that falls somewhere between Blood on the Tracks and Ezra Furman's Day of the Dog. Berman sounds untethered and unleashed. To borrow a phrase from Saul Bellow, he sounds like an open wound of a man. And this collection is nothing short of staggering. Every song ripping through the speakers like an instant classic. Hard to pick favorites, but tracks like Sun Blisters or Sylvia the Cup of Youth are visceral, immediate, and as beautiful as they are raw. I loved this conversation. Kip is a really, really sweet guy. And we got down to business. So here it is. Me and Kip Berman of The Natural having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Wow. 
wow, uh, city would be a very generous term for where I am. I'm in New Jersey. I'm in Princeton, New Jersey, which is a small uh, college town. It's just like sort of in central. It's about the same distance from New York as Philadelphia. So um, depending on, um, you know, what's easiest to get tickets for a show or something, you can choose between going to Philly or going to New York. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not like music venues here. It's just, just like a little tiny college town. And if there's concerts, um, there's like one sort of seated theater that's uh, where, you know, you might see more of like a, like a, like a Richard Thompson play there. That was like sort of like the biggest show I got to see in Princeton. So it's usually you have to go to like New York or actually there's a good DIY venue in New Brunswick, which is about 30 minutes up the road, which is uh, where Rutgers is, but it's like just sort of like a old warehouse that they seem to kind of have free rent at to put on shows and it has a little recording area in there too. And so it's, that's, that's nice. And I hope that can survive because having, any kind of DIY space or studios or accessible kinds of places is just, um, it's pretty essential to keep, keep music happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it like living in a college town where people aren't even really probably on the campus? It's, it's an interesting place to be, you know, I think it's actually uh, been, um, I know people probably have a perception of central New Jersey as some bleak suburban wasteland or something like that. But um, at least here in Princeton, there's this wonderful old um, uh, indie record shop that's been there forever called Princeton Record Exchange. There's good places to get coffee and it's all really walkable. Um, You don't really have to get in your car and drive around anywhere. So you can just kind of bike or walk wherever you need to go, which I think maintains at least if it's, pretty different than living in Brooklyn or New York. It's the same kind of spirit of you can like walk out of your house and go get a coffee or go to a record shop or meet friends back when you can sort of do that. Um, and, and the nice thing is it being a university town is it is fairly cosmopolitan. You know, there's people from all over the world here and that, that come here. And, and, and so it doesn't, I mean, I know it's very different than New York and, and the vibe is different, but it's not quite as different as I think you might, expect um from a day-to-day lifestyle kind of thing at least there's like there's there's at least two bodegas within a block of my house even in Princeton so as long as I can have bodega coffee uh, I'll I'll be okay you'll be okay was it a conscious decision to end up in Princeton was that was that something that was very purposeful on your part it it wasn't uh purposeful but um it was a really cool um outcome. See, my, my wife and I, uh, she was pregnant and she applied for a job at the university here. And, um, you know, lugging strollers up six flights of stairs in like a one bedroom apartment in New York, I'll be honest, isn't that fun? So, um, <laughs> Doesn't sound so fun. we were, we were able to like, thanks to her, we were able, she got this job and we, so we moved, uh, down here and it, it's been, it's been wonderful. And it's just like a really nice place to have um, my daughter's four and a half now, which is funny because we moved on here when she was just like just born. And I have a, a son who's a little over two. And uh, it's just like, there's, I don't know how to explain it. Like in New York, you'd have to cross six lanes of traffic to get to one block that had like a tree on it to walk around in for a little bit. And here it's like the park is everywhere. You know, it's, it doesn't even have to be a park. There's things growing and you can just be outside and have, peaceful places for kids to play and run around and like try to ride their scooters and stuff like that. It's um, I mean, it's not impossible in New York 
either. I have friends who are, are doing that and their kids are growing up with all the wonderful things of the city and, um, you know, we'll get to experience that on a day-to-day level and that excitement and, and all the possibilities there. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I've just found that like for what I do most of the time that isn't playing music, uh, Princeton's a really nice place to have your children be able to grow up and be happy and feel like there's clean air to breathe and, you know, things like that, that I think are pretty important for kids. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, obviously with, with what's going on in the world, I, you know, you protect yourself. Like you walk around, you think like, oh, that person seems to be coughing. I'll walk this direction, right? You have children has, as a parent, you have to sort of think about your own health, but you must be on high alert with your kids. Like when they're out there in the world, has that been a whole new layer of anxiety that you didn't really anticipate? You know, that's a really good question. I think there's a, I I see it with the other parents. Like there's definitely a spectrum of, um, anxiousness. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and while I respect my friends who won't, are, are extremely protective of their children. Um, and I don't advocate not being protective. I still want my children to have, you know, freedom of, of movement and, uh, some semblance of, of normalcy, even with the pandemic in terms of like going, being able to go to the playground. I mean, as long as they keep their masks on, and there's other kids there. I still want them to be able to climb and, and feel their bodies in space and be strong and, and just take take the necessary precautions, which is you know wear your mask when you're when you're near other people. Um, but I don't want them to be so cut off from the experience of other children their age that they would be wholly isolated. But I I have friends who are more in that other camp as well. And I, I, I respect those decisions as well. I, I just think it's everyone has to kind of navigate this with the advice of science um, to the best of their ability as, as, as human beings. And that's not to cast judgment on other people and right. other decisions. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's definitely, um, it, the strange thing is, is that children are strangely, my, my daughter's like four, this has been going on for a year she remembers how it was before and she'll talk about it. She'll say, like, remember when we went to the pizza restaurant together and did this or remember when we did this? And and she has a sense of that this is going to be over too. She's like, after coronavirus, can we go do this again? Wow. I always tell her, of course. And so she she intellectually has that sense of that there was a before and there will be an after. Um, and my son, who's only like two and a half, he he doesn't have that. But the experience of having his parents in the house at all the time for him isn't necessarily a degradation of his life. It's like everyone's together. Everyone, all my people are here. I get to be around mom, dad, like mom's working from home. She's there. If I need her, you know, dad's there too. Um, I think from his perspective, it's, it's different than what my daughter knows. And, and from our perspective, we might think this is some tragic, horrible thing that he's experiencing because he doesn't have a sense of what normalcy is. Right, but at the same time, I I think his day to day is almost, I mean, happier as a result of not having the frame of reference and just seeing all his fr- family together. Um, who it's really hard for is older family members or that just haven't been able to see their grandchildren and great grandchildren for um, for a long time, and that's and that's the real challenge is knowing that they they have a finite amount of you know time on this earth and they want to spend it seeing, you know, these little kids and 
having them remember them and, and be part of their lives. And, um, and, and we do Zoom calls or FaceTimes and all those things. Um, my, my wife's parents, my in-laws have been fantastic. They have like a story time, like every couple of days where they read a story over um, a Zoom call and the kids are there and um, the cousins of my children are there too. So it's almost like a family gathering. And that's like been a wonderful way of providing continuity and normalcy of just seeing Nana and granddad all the time, even if we're so cut off from them in, in, in the physical space. Um, but, but this is what, I mean, all families are dealing with this to, and it's our situation is not unique or special or anything. I think everyone's just trying to make, do the best they can and find ways of connecting and being close with the people they want to be close with um, over time. And um, hopefully when we all get our vaccines and, um, businesses start to reopen and we can congregate again. And, and I mean, at the end of all that, maybe even music returns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I'm not prioritizing my own like interest of wanting to play um, rock music <laughs> and, and crowded <laughs> and, and hopefully crowded bars um, before anyone else can just do the normal things in life. But uh, I mean, I, I, I do like all people look forward to um, uh, the, the world reemerging and hopefully maybe even like a, a saner or maybe a healthier version of the world. Like there's, um, there's like, maybe we will keep wearing masks in public in many countries they do. And it seems like um, it's a helpful thing for not you know, getting a ton of colds. In the I mean, like it, it, there, there could be benefits that we learn from this experience that we, we, we do want to continue doing just out of um, improving, you know, what life is for, for, for all of us. Yeah. There, there is um, an optimism to to you, right? You, you believe that things will be better. You, you feel you have hope. Well, um, I, I think <laughs> you know. I, I totally understand if people don't share hope or feel yeah. a lack of optimism. I, I'm not, I'm not about um, forcing some phony. Everything's going to be great outlook on the world. Like I, I have hope because I have children and I want them to grow up in a world where they, you know, have uh, that, that optimism in the world. Like if, if I was just like myself, like alone in my old New York apartment, um, drinking multiple deli co- coffees a day, maybe I would, um, <laughs> maybe my, my, maybe my understanding of the world would be shaped uh, differently. But, uh, um, but I, I don't disrespect anyone who's just like, no, this is just the beginning of the end. And maybe, <laughs> maybe it is as well. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's also a very valid outlook yeah. if, if people share that. I would imagine that that their music sounds different uh, than the way yours is coming out. <laughs> no, and, and you know, I'm I'm just you know, I, I I there's, I mean, whatever optimism I have in my life, I, I think I think uh, my music balances um, perspective, or at least tries to balance perspectives and uh, uh, kind of remove a remove even a moral component of judgment to any of that. Like I'm not, maybe it's just getting older where you just realize like there's a lot of ways of being and a lot of perspectives you can have. And um, I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone where at least most of those perspectives are, are wrong to have, you know, there's obviously a few that are like, we see, we all know that, but um, it, it, no, no one wants to scold, uh, especially a scold who's a middle-aged man in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, are you finding that the art that you're drawn to during this time period, like, like for me, it doesn't feel like the right time to listen to Nick Drake because it feels a little too oppressive during such a, what has been a bleak year. I've found myself going towards the more buoyant, the more I'm, I'm looking for velocity right now in my own, in my own taste. Have you, have you found that like the tone of the TV shows or the movies or the music that you've been drawn to in the last eight or nine months has been, have you found a certain, what do you, what do you mean when you say velocity in your own takes? I guess I mean, are... like, I, like I don't feel like listening to the tragic as much as I, as I typically like to, cause I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up on the Smiths, you know, it's sort of like, that's my, that's always been my go-to. Um, but for me, I've, like, I found this new band called the Bad Nerves. So it's called Bad Nerves. And they're just this fast, kind of like the Misfits meets the Buzzcocks. I'm like, that's cool. what I need right now. It's like velocity, um, pace. Um, so I guess that's what I mean by that. That's, that's an interesting perspective. And yeah, I, I think, I think it's so interesting how different moments of life we, we turn to different things. Like, there's there's art forms that I, I don't mean to like say they're adolescent or say they're worse for it, but when I was a teenager, I just really among the things I liked, I just really found a connection to um, you know the the post the 1990s post hardcore bands that are sort of called emo and and what they were saying and how they were expressing it seemed to resonate like very strongly with that time in my life. I mean, I also listened to like Tori Amos and like guided by voices and like lots of lots of other things I remember from that period Radiohead and like um you know but Nirvana Sonic Youth but for whatever reason the the that emotional hardcore music which um I still think resonates with a lot of people in a nostalgic way as as adults like I don't go back and wish I don't like really go back and reconsider listen to it again too much um, even though I, it meant so much to me at that time, and it's not to say it, it it's lesser for that, um, but it was it was just so much a part of that um, experience to my life, and and I see people um, react to my old band the same way. It was like very meaningful to them at like one moment in their in their time, and and I think it's healthy to if not outgrow it, like embrace different things and say, well, I listened to that a lot when I was 19 and that was great then, but it doesn't relate to my life now in the same way. As for my own listening, I I think the pandemic didn't shift it as much as um, moving here to Princeton shifted it and and being a dad shifted it for, for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was just like music I could put on that like my children would hear too, or my family, like what I wasn't listening by myself in the same way. I gravitated to a lot more, um, you know, 1960s and 1970s folk, folk rock, singer songwriter, um, fair. And I, and I know that gets the reputation of like adult contemporary or like this sense of like mature music. I, I don't, I don't see it that way either. It was just, it was just a different mode of, um, expression. Like I always felt like I was too, I was always intimidated by listening to Bob Dylan when I was younger. And and there was something about maybe not his music, but the people who were sort of the, um, the gatekeepers of his music that made it seem like this wasn't for everyone, that it wasn't funny. It wasn't playful. It wasn't transgressive. It was always, you know, I, I don't know, like serious older men in beards writing 
long tomes about the true meaning. You know, it, there's, there's this sense of <laughs> this is the important artist about his music. And if you go back and listen to it, like I'm probably not the first person that's gone back and listened to it uh, in a different perspective. I'm just like, it's funny. It's witty. It's just having, it's having a good time for its own sake. It's not self-serious. And maybe Dylan himself became a bad um, interpreter of his younger self or a bad interpreter of his own art. Um, I, I, I don't know why it became this. Um, maybe he's just, when you become so successful, there's something intimidating about like Nobel Prize laureate, you know, so-and-so's writing is so, yeah. I, I can't say what it is, but when you go back and listen to those records, um, especially the ones from the mid sixties, late sixties, the live records, especially, um, they're just so delightful. Like they, they delight in themselves. They delight in language and they're not superficial. These, right. His songs that do have like deep political, um, impact but they're not just that they they just delight in the words themselves the feelings themselves and there's a i don't even know how to say it a lot of a lot of music of that era is rooted on a sort of like i don't even know if all these people felt this way but there's a lot of you know the the mick jagger outlook the i'm a cool guy and like you know i no one else is important to me and and women are just, you know, disposable. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm sure if you dig into Dylan, there's like moments where he says things like that now, you'd be like, oh, maybe uh, that wasn't the right way of phrasing it. But there's like a genuine absence of misogyny in, in his writing. And, and same with Leonard Cohen too. There, there's just, it almost stands out from music of that era when you hear men singing about women and it isn't rooted in that um, sort of Led Zeppelin kind of outlook. And it's not to say that people can't enjoy music of like rock uh, of other bands of that era and, or should feel some deep, some shame about it. I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I listen to and I'm like, you know, I, I like the stones too. And like, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't begrudge people like enjoying that music, but there, there's something about uh, like timeless is like a, a, a word that gets bandied about, but for whatever reason in this time and in the few years prior, like, the writing of Dylan made a lot of sense to me in a way I hadn't allowed it to or known before. And I, I just think that's a, a cool thing for um, someone writing a song when they were like 20 years old in like 1964 Yeah, to make sense to like someone in 2020. It's just like a, a special thing. And, and Neil Young too, I think was another artist I, I really listened to more um, since moving from New York, and uh, and a, and a, and, a, and this is, I mean, I can't take credit for this, but uh, Fairport Convention, which was a group I just wasn't familiar with at all. I, I, it might have been just like the band name and like the idea that they were an English folk band gave me like the idea that it was like some flowery send up of something or other. But my mom was listening to some music I was writing. Uh, and she's like, you know, this reminds me of someone named Richard Thompson. And I went and checked out Richard Thompson and I was just absolutely blown away by, um, this record of his, that he did with his, his, his then wife, uh, Linda Thompson called, I want to see the bright lights tonight. And it just was like, it just really hit me the right way. And, um, and then I, 
I realized you know, he used to be in this band Fairport Convention. And I was like, well, let me, let me see what it is about. And, and that band was just so much cooler than I think they get credit for. <laughs> like it, it's like, I, I mean, I, I know we love the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks, and I really love the Kinks. Um, but like, they, they just have to be in that conversation of just like cool, inventive rock and roll music that was pushing beyond uh, any one kind of convention, like bringing in ideas of these, these English folk songs and electrifying them and reimagining them. And, 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 and Sandy Denny was just such uh. a great vocalist. And it's like, and, and, and this is the thing. It's like, people always thought I was like, Oh, Kip from Paints. He's such a record nerd or, or he's a music nerd. Or he must know everything. Like you don't even like the guy that like knows a lot about like, indie bands from Scotland in 1984 just has, I have these huge blind spots and it's so exciting to know that there's more out there. There's more to discover. And, and the music that's meaning that will be meaningful to me in my life. I might not have even heard yet. Um, and I, I guess that's a long winded way of saying that I, I moved to New Jersey and um, started listening to like folk rock a little bit more than um, post-punk or whatever. But uh, it's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that uh, has been, in the atmosphere of my home uh, for the last five years, at least. So um, I'm just, I'm just, it's always excited, exciting to find new things and, um, and just, and then trace the connections between these artists and what they went on to do, like other bands they were in and um, like the Albion band and uh, the Shirley Collins and that album, No Roses. I, I, I was just like, this is really cool too. And, and then I, a lot of it is just kind of going through YouTube too, which is like another way of music discovery. And there isn't a lot of footage of those artists or videos weren't made in the same way, but you can find these little slices of documentaries on the BBC about them. And it's, it's such a fun way to, uh, to experience that music that I, I think our generation is lucky that we have access to, you know, some like two and a half minute snippet of like Shirley Collins and the Albion band singing some old British song with, you know, this, everyone's dressed like farmers from the 19th century, like sitting right. in the audience. So, like, these, these weird things that got made and, and now we're able to, for the first time, kind of enjoy at our, at our discretion, uh, at our leisure. So um, it's just been really cool to have, be opened up to these new sounds and new ideas that uh, make sense with what is kind of a, a new version of life that I'm leading as well. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting to think about the past. I, I think about the past all the time. And sometimes you, you sort of reverse engineer where you go like, you know, there, there's a sort of, you look back at Fairport Convention and you go, wow, like what they were doing was so forward thinking and so innovative. Um, and we, we tend to lump them in at a time and a place. But when you go back, it becomes like, it almost like it reanimates it and it becomes uh, more relevant than ever. But for you and your own past and with your own music, how how do you regard it? How do you regard your... Because obviously, I mean, my my policy in my own life as I get older is I just want to do a little bit better every day. I don't care if it's... It doesn't have to be massive. It could be really incremental because it usually is, right? And it's like, as long as I feel a little bit smarter, a little bit sharper, a little more aware, I'm good with that. Um, but in terms of your own your own relationship with your past self do you feel that it's sort of like you're just always morphing forward or do you sometimes feel you have a foot in a more sentimental place? 
Well, I would say if, if you're the kind of person that thinks you're massively improving every day, you're probably a bit pompous, yeah, <laughs> you know, probably. right? So I'd say if you're yeah. like, every day, I've just gotten so much better. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. Whoever that person is, you probably don't want to like kick it with them. But uh, I agree. <laughs> um, it's, it's difficult for me to fully put in perspective um, the experience I had with uh, the pain to being pure at heart because I know it was overwhelmingly positive and unlikely that the things that that band got to do um, even happened. I, all of the bands that inspired that band were, uh, you know, bands like the Pastels, like Rocket Ship from Up in Your Neck of the Woods, uh, like a lot of that good Slumberland stuff, a lot of good like Postcard Records stuff and Sarah Records and just kind of like this idea of scrappy, noisy pop music um, that had sort of, that was, that was, that's, that was inherently amateur, but was trying to be something more like sort of, it was like this idea that it's okay to be just what you are, as long as you're trying not to be, or, or not, I don't want to be too convoluted about it, but it was just always kind of aiming. We're always trying to kind of bite off a little bit more than we could actually do. But I thought that was kind of a cool, that's, that's a cool thing in and of itself. There's other bands, like there was a band in New York called my favorite, who was sort of um, ahead of its time um, doing that kind of thing when there just wasn't much interest in, you know, a band with keyboards on stage. Like there was, it was still kind of an air where it's like, wait, this isn't what, why do you like music with synthesizers in it? It's not rock and roll enough or something. You know, it's like <laughs> a lot of, a lot of things are wrong place, wrong time. And like, for whatever reason, Payne's was very fortunate to just sort of like have the opportunity to do what we did when so many of the people that inspired us to do it didn't. Um, so I, I feel like I don't want to um, disparage that time in my life or that music that I got to make because I it really like when you're doing it, you're always kind of looking around and you're thinking like, oh, why aren't we like that band? Or wouldn't it be cool if we got to do that thing that that other band did? And there's always that sort of sense of not like jealousy, but like you're always measuring yourself against other people and other people doing the same thing. But when you kind of look at, when you look back at the outcomes of everyone that you might've been jealous of and stuff like that, you're kind of like, actually, I'm glad that no one in the band like hates each other. Like no one, um, we're all like still friends or we got to do these things. No one had like a serious like health or like substance, like kind of that stuff. Like there's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of versions of being in a band that don't, don't go, even like a band that does kind of well, like that doesn't go, doesn't go well for the people in it. And uh, I feel like a lot of gratitude um, for that, 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 that thing that is so unlikely to happen to happen. Like even I would see bands that were trying to kind of, not like we were like that original, but they were kind of trying to do the same things we did. Like, Oh, if we like, play this venue and write songs like this and sign to this label, it's going to like, things are going to happen for us too. And it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And that's not saying we are special. It was more just like so much of it is just an accidental reality of like this thing that we were kind of into made sense to people at this particular point of time. And to try to like reproduce that or dissect it and see what you had to do to like, be a successful indie pop band or whatever. It just, it's like beside it's totally missing the point of the fact that you should be just doing what you want to do with people that you want to do it with. And if you do that, um, even if like nothing happens, you're having a good time and right. you're, 
dude, and you're like that doing it is the end itself. You're like, I'm making songs with my friends and I like these songs and like no one's so beyond vanity that they can honestly say, I don't care what people think. Like, I know it's like, that's the posture that you're supposed to have. But like, I think deep down, if you really know you're doing what you want to be doing and you're in a room with other people that you like being in a room with, um, that's, that's more important than anything.
there's not you can't control people going people looking at the new record and sort of bumping it up against the work that you've already done like that's that's out of your hands right i mean i think a lot about roddy frame you think about those postcard guys i mean someone gave me a copy of knife when i was in high school and they were like this guy's 16 and i was like i'm 16 and he's doing a lot better than i'm doing like how is he this guy working with mark nothorn how is he this good and he's like a year older than me or something at the time Oh, yeah, um, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. Roddy Frey makes you feel really bad. <laughs> of course, yeah. it's like it's like oh, I know that guy's insane. Um, I, I mean, I felt that way too. Like when I moved to New York, like I used to live in Portland, Oregon, and I literally thought my life was over. I was like, well, I'm 24. Like <laughs> the Strokes already did it, and like no one's gonna want to hear some like 24 year olds like stupid song. I better just go to New York with my friend and figure out what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. And then it's like. Um, I started painting when I was like 27. Um, but yeah, it's like that, that sense of, yeah, comparing yourself to these, like, I'm always amazed by how well young people keep it together. Um, like just, just even seeing like Lord or seeing like, um, artists that literally are just like got out of high school and are like traveling the world and not making an ass of themselves. It's just like, I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was 19. (laughs) Like, I'm not even as good as that when I'm like, twice that age like it's it's just like astonishing to me to see these fully formed artistic perspectives and voices that um are able to create this just this remarkable um purposeful work like it's and it's not it's not just lord there's like i mean i'm not like always familiar with like everything all these people do but it's like billy eilish like as well just has has transfixed an entire generation and has like a really distinct point of view. And when you read her say things like those are like, they make sense. They're not like, well, she's just a kid or he's just a kid and he'll figure it out. Like they, they're like relevant to even um, an older person to like listen to and be like, no, she's saying things that are really true. She's singing about feelings that are like, not um, like one dimensional. And uh, at least with like Lord's music, that's, I, I really got a lot of that out of, out of her, but yeah, you like see, or that guy, uh, King Cruel, uh, the, that British guy that who looks like, you know, he's like, I mean, he looks like he was 12 when he came out. Like he was right. almost like, right. <laughs> and then he had this deep voice. It's like, I'm like, I'm like, literally have two children and I'm, my voice is two octaves higher than his. I'm like, <laughs> like when I like, I don't ever like get in a fight. Cause I just sound ridiculous. I'm like, Hey man, <laughs> no man. Like F you man. But if I was him, I'd be like, Hey buddy, a fool. You know, it's like it sounds a lot better when you're not like this nasal nasal guy from the Midwest. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know it's all these like young artists that are so fully formed and like experimental and like and like reverent in like certain ways, but sort of iconoclastic like, kind of and others. It's it's always. I mean, a lot gets said against sort of like the epic fascination of youth and youth culture, but there's a reason for it too. You you get you get these new voices, these new perspectives, and these ideas that haven't been before. And um, even with the passing of Sophie, like I had never really encountered her music until very recently. And and now it's been something I've been like going through like YouTube and trying to find all of these collaborations she did and like with the PC music people. And, and it's, it's stuff that's like definitely outside of like the sound of music that I typically listen to. Like I'm, I'm not like up to speed on every like underground UK producer, like, remix artist 
So I don't always have like the context of, I couldn't explain to you why it felt so new and powerful, but it like when I was listening to it, I was like, this is just like painting with a whole different palette that will probably seem normal to future generations, but I've never heard before. Like, right. it's like, it's like sound. I mean, I was listening to an interview of her and she was talking about like using sounds from blockbuster movies, like the kind of like over the top hyper, like the sound of like, a tr- like the transformers, like, like, like one of those kinds of movies that are so like, how do you even make those sounds? And she's taking it and making music out of it, but it's also just on this other level of reality and the way she like shifts like voices. And, and, and I know there's other artists that have like worked in similar ways, but it was just, it's, it's so, so sad realizing what, like I almost felt like she only had, she did a bunch of awesome singles and collabs, but like she only did one full album as like a, an artist statement. And I was just like, I want, I, I want more records by her. And it's just like, you're not going to get them. And it's like hard to think about someone who was like, like discovering a whole new country of expression and identity and, and sound, like just not getting to do it. Like, that's like the hard thing. Like there's, you know, there's people that have had like tragic lives in the past. I know, but they usually had like, you know, there are four or five records that you can go back to. And it's like, she just seemed like on the cusp of so much more having accomplished so much. And it just was, you know, like something that wasn't even on my like radar of like, here I am in the suburbs listening to Fairport convention, you know, it's like, but also this whole other world of like, Oh my God, that's like some incredible stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh I don't even know what the point of the, of any of this was, but uh, no, but, yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, it's with, cool. but it's true that when you when you think about innovation and you think like, like I always think I think a lot about Amy Winehouse. I, I bring her up all the time because I think like two records, right? Two records. One of them, both amazing, but one of them to me as next should stand next to Blood on the Tracks. Like I just think it's I think it's that good. And I think about what she was going to do, a record with the roots, um, collaborations with with most deaf, and like get the way she was going to explore beats and the way her voice could be so percussive and what was going to happen. And I think about that, and I just think like that whole universe of possibility, whether it's Sophie or Amy Winehouse or um, even you know Kurt Cobain, who was going to do yeah. a record with Michael Stipe. It's like just thinking about that possibility, just my mind explodes at, with, with longing and sadness, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just, when you think about that too, like I didn't, I didn't know about the Michael Stipe one. I mean, that like all, no, it's just like, it's not like, it's not like I don't want to recognize the personal tragedy for the people's lives themselves and just be like, I wish there was more music. Like, obviously it's like, I, I almost feel like I don't have to say it, but I probably should say it. like the more, more tragic thing is that like Kurt Cobain's, kid grew up without Kurt Cobain and Courtney right. loved like lost her partner. Like, you know, like Sophie had friends and family and, and that loved her and they just don't get to see her anymore. It's like, as a like human being that comes over, like, like, and, and kicks it and like listens to records and like has, right. has a laugh and goes out on new year's or whatever, you know? But yeah, when you think about all of this art that just never will get made, like it's, um, I mean, Dylan could have died in that motorcycle accident. You know, it's like, you just, and, and like, it's, 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 it's really, um, yeah, Amy Winehouse. And I I think it's like things where I I didn't understand how good 
Amy Winehouse was in that moment. And it's, it's, I think about myself too. Like there used to be a sort of like dismissal of pop music. Um, I got a friend who was like all, like all about Britney Spears and he was just like, I really love Britney Spears. And it was like, it was like two, I get the dates wrong, but it was probably like 2002. And I get that era, like most people my age that were into stuff I was, weren't also like embracing big pop, like mainstream pop music, but he was like really all about it. And like, I remember like, I was living in Portland at the time and like Britney Spears was like walking down. She was like in Portland that day and she was like kind of near where the record store he lived at, worked at was. And he like ran down the street and like tried to get Britney Spears' autograph. And he's like this cool dude on a moped who like, like looks like he could like have fronted the Stone Roses or whatever. He's like not like, He's like, the, he's like, cool. He's like cooler than me. And he's like running down the street, like with a pen and paper being like, Brittany, Brittany. And her bodyguards are like, not today, son, not today. <laughs> but you know, um, like some people, and I think in England, they had a better percep- perception early on of not seeing that rock and roll pop divide of like being able to embrace like what mainstream pop was doing at the same time as loving like punk and underground music and, and seeing it as part of some greater statement and seeing the transgressive nature of what pop was and how it was you know undermining certain conventions of like four serious dudes standing against a brick wall trying to look like really like sad or like yeah it's like it was doing so many more things especially with ideas of like gender identity sexuality and and or just putting at the forefront like like female artists at a time when like most indie was like so saturated with this like four guys in a band playing guitar, five guys in a band playing guitar. Like there was just like this and it was really cool. And, um, and I, and I had friends who were like more aware of the fullness of music and the fullness of like that at a younger age. And I, I feel like I'm kind of, I'm catching up. And like, I always, I always thought pains. I always liked it. I always liked the specific world that pains came out of, which was like this, uh, indie pop is one word music scene that was like rooted in like uh, the 19, like the late 70s, early 80s, late 80s, where there was this s- stronger balance um, and celebration of like bands comprised of people that identify as male or female or non-binary. That was, it was much more gender like inclusive of, of a, of a music movement than, you know, post-hardcore was or like you know or indie rock in the 1990s was and it was and one of the reasons I I really I mean that's that's the thing it's like that that art form really spoke to me the the indie pop because of the fact that it was both had this like raw energy of, of punk and DIY but it also was brought in like the idea of pop and the idea of like songs as 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 a thing to aspire to like the three minute like perfect pop song but you could right. do that like with like really noisy guitars and like screaming if you wanted to or like strange ideas of like juxtaposing those two ideas together it always got that 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 balance and i always felt, felt that the bands from glasgow especially were like because i didn't like the super twee stuff i understand why like the super twee stuff was like actually more transgressive than it seems like but i kind of like the sort of the dirty side of it where it was like bands that were like a little bit like the, the pastels, the close lobsters, like Jesus and Mary chain, like were a little more, 
maybe they're a little more macho, but this idea of like a kind of like noisy and sweetness together, like sort of an embrace of West Coast American pop, but through like this lens of like distorted guitars and a kind of shambolic ethos of we can just do this without the eight part harmonies, you know, like, um, like we don't have to be the Beach Boys, but the Beach Boys are kind of cool. Like, like both respecting something and being able to create a different version that makes sense in your own city, in your own life, in your own uh, way of being. Yeah, and there was a, kind of an undulating movement to bands like Orange Juice or Joseph K. There was a kind of there was this kind of groovy current in those bands. Um, oh, Orange Juice, especially it was like let's take like let's take funk and like Motown and the Velvet Undergrounds and put it together. And the <laughs> singer Edwin, like his voice is deeply unusual and deeply moving as a result. And it's like voices like his that like give everyone not like it wasn't i don't want i love his voice but it like it gives it gives you the possibility to do that yourself like you don't have to sing like chris martin you don't have to be able to sing like brandon flowers this like conventional male pop voice like you can sing like stephen pastel you can sing like edwin collins i, I mean I, and to this day like of all those bands i mean like orange juice is a lot probably like it's almost like the like homer or something where you like create the epic and you've also mastered it at the same time like they they created a movement but also were like the best at it as you can get and it's and it's like you can all have your taste and you can be like well actually like you know these bands and those bands did different things but like orange juice was like because they brought in these different ideas of music together and and synthesized it around like their own weird perspective as like people that probably didn't get in that many fights in a city where everyone got into fights, like a real rough place. Like there was a roughness in their sound, but some kind of undaunted beauty that like resisted it. Like it was like, like uh, that's not, what's that song? It's not, it's not substitute, but it's the one that's like, I'll never be man enough for you. Um, oh, that's a uh, consolation prize. Consolation. I'll be a consolation prize. And even like the way the song structure, like the coda versus like the actual, song, it's like, it's so inventive. So like, I mean, it's not ahead of its time or behind its time. It it is. It just is a timeless record that doesn't. It makes sense in almost any era you play it, and I think you could go backwards and play it like in the past, and that it would make sense to people. And and, and um, it, yeah, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But when you said no, orange no, no, juice, I, I, got I mean, really excited. no, no, I mean, like, like Orange Juice is one of those bands where. Y- someone couldn't even tell you if you played it for them, like when it was recorded, it just does. It's not grounded in time or place. Um, which is why I just, there's no other band like Orange Chiefs. They're so singular. And you can't make a record that sounds like that anymore too. It's like something where it's like, you can't tell when it was made, but you also can't make it. You can't reverse engineer it. Like even something, I don't know if it was just like, I think ABBA's the same way. Like a lot of bands aspire to be, able to make something that sounds like ABBA, but you can't do it. And it's almost like it looks so ridiculous when you try. Like it's, it's almost like, it's almost like by attempting to sound like an ABBA record, like you're just going to illuminate your own shortcomings. <laughs> like it's, it's, just like, right. it's like, there's something about the production of the, the voices that the musicianship, how it was all made in the studio. Like there's, it's like some dark art that will never like like future generations. Like you can get like samplers of like you can make the strings sound just like that. You can make the guitar. You can you can do all sorts of things. But I really 
don't think we'll, our ears will ever hear something that sounds quite like that, that version of what perfect is. I agree. I agree. And I think that even listening to those early Aztec camera records, and I, but I just found out recently that Roddy Frame was, they were trying to get him to replace Johnny Marr and the Smiths after, after Marr had left. And I, and I always thought that wouldn't have made sense. Um, I, I, could, I, I mean, he, obviously he could have done it, but um, I, I don't think it was the right. And that's the thing that you talk about bands like Orange Shoes, like those people in that time or ABBA or, um, or the pastels where if you interchanged members, it's like the magic somehow is gone. You know, it just, it, it's, it's rooted in that time and place. And um, I mean, with your own stuff, do you, do you find that when you're making music now, do you find that your own narrative has, has shifted in terms of how you approach songwriting? Has that changed? And, and do, you think, do you think about it as you're thinking about it? Which is kind of a weird question, but I, I think you know what I mean. Before I answer that, I just want to say like Mike Joyce from the Smiths also was asked to be the original drummer of the band Suede. I didn't know that. Uh, so um, we did like, he has like a little like radio session thing up in Manchester these days. Super nice dude. Like he like, you know, it's like one of these things where like, I can't believe Mike Joyce says he'll actually come down to the show later. And he actually does. You're like, um, yeah, right. but uh, he was like, you know, the dudes in Suede, they were like, hey, we want you to drum on our with us and he and he was kind of like and i think at the time the suede uh, uh, suede or as they're known in the states the, the london suede were um they were getting a lot of comparisons to the smiths anyway like it doesn't seem like it makes sense now but it was this uh he was like you know guys if you st- don't want to get compared to the smiths all the time like don't have me playing your band. Like, it was like one of these, like, maybe think this through. I'm, I'm glad that you like me and you like what I've done before, but like, maybe like try to distance yourself from this particular thing that seems to be like all the media is fixated upon anyway. Um, but then I, I feel like one of the dudes from Ride joined Oasis and like, I feel like, like, like Ride at certain points or Hurricane Number One was kind of like, let's see if Ride could do Oasis. And then it's like, ah, maybe Ride shouldn't do Oasis. And then I think, I think it was Andy Bell plays in a Andy Bell, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Ride are incredible band. And I always feel bad that the creation narrative is always like, and this is the label that would someday put out Oasis. And I mean, don't get me wrong, those Oasis, early Oasis records are like awesome. But the narrative of that label means so much more to me than the end point of putting out the biggest band in the world. Like, it's not a disrespect to Oasis. Like, they were awesome, awesome rock and roll band. But like, everything that label was about before that was actually like the sweet spot for me of like, but they also put out teenage fan club and felt and like, yeah. Jazz uh, like, butcher. Jazz, but yeah. Like all this stuff, like all these like Biff bang pow was pretty good. <laughs> like, all this stuff, yeah. all those creation comps that you get with like, um, you know, doing it for the kids or like, all like whatever. Like that was always like, that was kind of my version of like what, or um, even um, super furry animals, like all this stuff that's just like gets a little bit forgotten because of that one big like cultural moment um which is it was it's totally fine um so you're saying about like how self-aware am i of the issue of like songwriting and how i'm doing it i think i think the, the best way to answer this is like if you're lucky you get those moments where you're not aware and i think like the best music comes out when you're not thinking about it when you when, when you're not even writing the song when you're not like i'm gonna write a song or like and I, I don't want to get too hokey, but I, I think there's like something where it's like every once in a while, if you're really lucky, um, 
your mind kind of goes blank and you're kind of in communion with like, we can call them the muses or whatever it is. These, whatever timeless entity kind of has this sort of idea of the song in it. And, and sometimes it kind of gets like, don't get me wrong. I can go down and like probably write a pains of being pure heart song and be like, these are all the elements that comprise the pains of being pure heart song. Um, but the best ones are the ones that just sort of happen and you don't even realize they're happening. Like I remember I was working on some song over and over and over again, and I was just trying to get it right. And I was like, this should, this should be cool. This should sound better. Like it goes from this chord to that chord. And that's like, seems pretty cool. And it has this, um, but it just never was right. And then it's like, I, and then I got put my guitar down. I picked it up again and I wrote like this song called masochist and like basically just in that moment, just like, Oh yeah. This, uh, and then no lyrics and like, and it all sort of came together without me even realizing I had written it. Um, possibly because the Smiths had written it before me. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, those are the things that are strange about songwriting where it's like, you can be a, quote unquote, um, this, I'm pretty, this is like probably an audio podcast. So I'm, I'm putting up my fingers in this quote signs. You can be a quote unquote, good songwriter dedicated to her or his craft or whatever, but your best songs aren't the ones you write. And for whatever reason, um, like this album as the natural, uh, these songs, I, I don't think I wrote any of them. And, and they just kind of happened at a strange time in my life where I'd, moved here and um it wasn't even like fixating on music too much i was kind of like thinking of other things most of the time i was you know pushing my daughter around in a stroller most of the day and looking after her i stayed home with her for like the first year and a half um and then almost when she went back to pre when she started preschool like there was like a moment and then all of a sudden like uh my 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 second son was born and i was kind of doing all the same things again and I wasn't like spending a lot of time on music. I wasn't like, I'm going to go to my practice space and jam for six hours or something. I was just kind of like, not. If I was picking up my guitar, it was to write funny songs for my kids about jumping in a puddle or something. It was just like the things I was doing weren't like, and now I need to write an album of adult music. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and for whatever reason, like, I don't know if like, I don't know, like the, the forces of the world took pity on me or, or whatever, but it's just, it opened up my mind and these songs kind of came out and they just kind of happened without much forethought to them. And, and, and when I think about it, like the, the best songs, even from pains, like, I'm not going to like evaluate myself and be like, these are the good ones. These are the bad ones. Cause who knows? Someone's listening to this and like, they were all shit kit. Um, but like <laughs> the ones I don't remember writing are the ones that were the best. And uh, the ones that have, the least amount of imprint of my self or intentionality or whatever, like are the ones that are the best. And sometimes the ones that have, it doesn't always work this way, but the ones, if you look at the lyric sheet and find the one that like has the least amount of words, those are usually the best ones too. Like, I, it's not to say that that's how you should write or that you should aspire to like brevity or whatever, um, or being concise. There's like, there's a lot of like ornate shit that I love too. Um, but and flowery stuff I love too but um sometimes you can just sort of tell like the songs that come out uh naturally um not to make yeah. a terrible pun I've noticed my... that too yeah. you're, you're right because I'm a writer and I have found that the the stuff where I'm not aware has more economy 
than the stuff where I am aware. I'm almost trying to cram too many things or too many elements in. And when I'm completely unconscious, when I get those lucky moments you're talking about, they're completely economical works. I totally know what you're talking about. And Yeah, no, I, I just, um, yeah. And I, and I think that's sort of like, and you have no, and I don't, yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, you're, you're totally right. And like, I, I just think like that song, on my last Payne's album, it was like called When I Dance With You. And like, I don't, I don't even know. It was just kind of like, it just kind of happened. And um, I'm like, there's no part of my being that would ever write a song called When I Dance With You. <laughs> or like, I feel all right or something. It's, it's like, it's like a, a sentiment I would like ridicule if I like, hurt. I'd be like, oh, come on, man. Like, like if I started some other band did, I'd be like, oh yeah, write a song about dancing. I mean, I don't even like dancing. I, it's like, it's, maybe it was like a metaphor for uh, sex or something. I don't even know. But like, uh, it was, it's so weird. I'm like, did I write that? Like, I'm like, I, I guess I did. <laughs> like, it's it's like a little bit like, it's almost so much not me, but like all the better for it, I think. So you're not, you haven't become territorial around your children in terms of like, okay, now they're asleep. I'm going to go work. It's not like that for you. It, to be honest with you, you're usually too tired to like do anything when they're asleep, except be asleep yourself, you know? Uh, maybe when they get older, I'll be like, all right, kids, you know, do your homework. I'll go down to the basement and jam. But uh, I've been playing music surprisingly little. This, like, definitely uh, during, during COVID and just in general. I'm not actually picking up my instrument that much and playing it. I'm not advocating for that, but in a weird way, it's made the time I have doing that um, more special. And, and I, I, it happened that way when I moved to New York, too. It was like I used to live in Portland, Oregon, which was like a city where your rent was $150 and you could work part time at a call center and make that like, like very quickly and then spend the rest of your time like going down to the basement and jamming with your friends. But when I moved to New York, the situation was so different that you had such limited time and even like a place to make noise that you, if you did like have like an hour or two to rehearse, you had to like show up and like um, focus and do it and not like spend. And I think it shapes, it shapes the kind of art that comes out of those scenes. Like there's like a huge, not always, but a huge correlation between the economic situation in a particular city and the kind of sound that comes out of it. And, and I think New York or, or, any kind of large city where you can't just like turn on an amplifier in your apartment or whatever and make a lot of noise. You, you see a lot of bands like finding solutions or artist solutions through like creating through like, um, like MIDI and, and software instruments and things that you can do with headphones on and doesn't involve like actually creating a large volume of playing drums. Um, and I think that shapes a lot of the, the music scenes that are happening there. And then, uh, but even for us, which was like more, with pains at first we I thought okay the solution is to have the drums on an iPod so you like push play and then the drum track plays and you play along to it and I and I thought I was like I'm so avant-garde this is so cool we don't have to carry heavy drum sets anywhere we're just like show up plug in and we can play but um partially owing to the fact that I only knew how to program like one drum beat at various speeds you can make it faster (laughs) slower that got like musically boring really fast so even though it was like pretty fun not to carry heavy drums everywhere um and like getting in a cab after a show to get back home or whatever to the subway it seemed like an advantageous thing like in reality it made for kind of crappy boring music so when my roommate joined up and to play drums it just kind of 
turned all our sort of boring songs into much more interesting songs just by having a human being giving that propulsion or that energy or that dynamic to what we were doing, which up to that point was like pretty like flat. Um, I mean, and like some, I mean, the Cocteau Twins had a drum machine and they were awesome. So it's like, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you have to know how to do it the right way and not just be like, my only feel I knew how to do was, which was like, you know, good enough for the Jesus and Mary chain, but like perhaps like after you get to like four songs of that, people are like, okay, what else? What else? So, um, so I think the economic situation um, and your, and, and how your time's allotted. Uh, so like in, moving to New York, yeah, like I had like only an hour or two to get together with like the band like once a week or whatever um, to work on stuff. So when we got together, it had to be like concise. It's like, oh, this is how the song goes. We're going to learn it. We're going to make sure we know how to play it. And we're not going to just like jam and noodle forever. And if you listen to Pains, you wouldn't think we were like fish, you know? It's like, there's like, there's like a, you can hear it in the music. Like these are very like straightforward, immediate kinds of um, songs. And, and with the natural, I think I was just kind of more in like kind of a, I don't want to sound like I'm like some weird guru, but I was kind of in more of a daydream for the last few years. It was just kind of like being partially sleep deprived, looking after like small people all day, not having, not even having a ton of conversations with adults. So like maybe my language got even like less sensical and more, a little more surreal or a little more abstract or something like that. And like where the rhymes were, where the rhymes weren't just didn't seem to real matter. And it was all kind of like very stream of consciousness. And uh, even the structure of the song, it wasn't like, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the verse, here's the chorus. I mean, there's, there's some of that, but uh, it just, my, my, my mode of being shifted so much that what, came out of it also seemed to shift a lot too and uh and I think I think that's a cool thing it's like it's easy to get stuck in certain patterns of like producing music or writing or doing things the same way and and I see that with a lot of artists I admire too it's like they're kind of like what's the next thing what's going to change what's what's going to shape these sets of songs more than the last sets of songs other than like we're going to use more synthesizers this time or we're going to like have our friend play saxophone on it or there's like these very superficial ways of making something seem different. But um, for me, at least it required my life to be uh, very different because otherwise I probably would have kept on just making sounds that sounded, you know, the way I'd been making them. Like, it's like open up my computer, like eight bars of like this part, eight bars of that part. And even like, even like writing in a way of making demos on the computer, I felt was like stiltifying. Like it was like, why does it have to be eight bars of that? Why does it have to be that? But it was just sort of the way when you're looking at music on a computer, it's just kind of like, it kind of dictates its own form to you. And if you're just kind of jamming in the basement on your guitar and then push record on your phone, uh, you're not really beholden to any kind of visual structure of creating. You're just like, this is just what I'm playing on my guitar and here's a recording of it. Um, I think like all of those things can impact how uh, you end up making music and there's not, I'm not even saying one of those is better than the other. It's just like the reason this record sounds so different from what I did before is because uh, my life's pretty different and the way I had time to do it was different. And the way I worked in the studio was different uh, because of that too. Like we recorded this album basically all live. Like we didn't have time to like be like, and now we're going to get the drums to sound perfect. And now we're going to 
overdub some guitar and some other guitar and then eight parts of like, effect, you know, it's like, we didn't have time to do that. Like I had two young children when I actually I had one at the time I started to make this record. I had like one day in the studio to do all the drums for like half the record or whatever. And the guitars and we did the guitars and bass too. So like, um, why don't you come out anymore? And, uh, Sun Blisters and uh, Runaway Jane were all just done like in a room playing together. And even the vocals were kind of, I was standing on the other side of a, a door playing along, but like I was doing vocals at the same time. I like, like, you know, I don't know how you know, but like, you know, sometimes when you're done with a record, they ask for an instrumental version too, just in case they want to use it in like a movie or something. And they don't want your dumb voice getting in the way. And I, I wrote to the guy, I was like, okay, can we, we need to get some inter- instrumental versions of these songs too, just like, just in case, you know. He's like, well, the thing is, there aren't any because you were singing live the whole time and it just got, and that's just, it's on all the tracks. That's not a bad thing, man. In fact, it's a cool thing. It was like, that's totally different than the way Payne's made our records. And it's, and it, and it's a cool thing. There wasn't like a metronome. You couldn't go back and like, now we're going to do a bunch of extra guitar parts. There's, right. there's no guitar solos on the whole record. There's like, it's literally just us bashing it out in a room. And then like, and that was the sound and there wasn't even effects pedals. It was like, I'm like kind of a cheese ball. So like when I moved to Princeton, I sold my uh, big like rock and roll Fender amp, you know, you go on tour with and I, I traded it for like an amp that's called the Princeton Reve- Re- Reverb. It's like the Fender makes amp called, it's like a smaller amp. It's called a Princeton Reverb. I'm like, well, I, I got to get this kind of amp. So literally the record's just the sound of like the Princeton Reverb, like turned to like four or whatever and my guitar plugged into it and like that's kind of that's what it is but it wasn't like some self-imposed limitation i literally had like no time so we're just like let's get these songs out and like hope for the best you know and uh and when you read about old records from other eras like another side of bob dylan was recorded in one night you know it's like it's not impossible for like if you have good songs you can go into a studio someone can push record you can play them and uh it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Um, you can make it more complicated than that. And I'm not saying that Loveless isn't a, a cool record and like stuff like that, but uh, there is, it's not impossible to do stuff fast and cheap and still come out with something that you feel pretty good about, um, you know, so. Yeah, and, and your record to me, it's raw, it's immediate and it's warm at the same time. And those are, those are not easy things to manage. Uh, but you've just you've just explained why that is. <laughs> I, I, Hopefully, I don't, if I get to make another one, like you never know. Hopefully, I don't fuck it up with being like, and now the string section comes in, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I will. Like maybe it's cool to like do different stuff. But uh, it's like yeah, it's like the the But you know, it sounds like that moment in time. Like uh, I'll always remember like that time of my life when it's like, and that's why the record sounded that way. It'll it'll trigger a memory in me. Maybe not people who listen to it. Uh, if people listen to it. But like, I remember like finishing the first half of it. Like we had a couple of days in the studio. So we like went in, we bashed it out and it was like October 25th or whatever. And when we finished, it was like one day we could do drums. The other day it was like during the work week. So we had to like not use drums. Like it was a studio that was in a space where you couldn't actually make noise, which is a bad place to put a recording studio. Um, but then we did some like solo songs where I was just like uh, that song, New Moon and uh, Sylvia, The Cup of Youth. We did those. Like, and and a few others that aren't on the record, just like some covers and whatever, just did record stuff. And um, and I remember it was like 25th, and I was like driving home at like three in the morning down like 
Route One and uh, like back from New York, back to New Jersey. And my, my, my son wasn't due to like November 11th. So I was like, I thought I wasn't cutting it close. I was just like, okay, well, I have these couple days in the studio. Like it's probably okay to do this now. Cause like there's still a couple more weeks till he was born. And like literally the next day, like I'm going to the hospital with my wife and my, my son came early and it was just like, well, good timing, man. Like, I'm glad, you know, it's like, it's like, thanks for holding, at least holding off till then. And uh, now, now we can focus on um, uh, this. Now you, like, we don't have to worry about like uh, <laughs> anything else. Uh, so yeah, it was like, it was just kind of crazy. So I always remember like that was made and then I didn't get to finish the record for a while till he was a little older and I could, and I went and had a couple more days in the studio and was able to finish it up. But like, yeah, I always remember like, uh, some of those songs were recorded when I had one child and the rest of the album was recorded when I had two and it was like pretty close. So, um, yeah, well, if it was vinyl, it's like side one, I have one child side two. I now have <laughs> that, that would have been an awesome way of organizing the track listing on this. And it actually is, uh, it's kind of close, right? Like, uh, well it actually, yeah, it's like, um, aside from runaway Jane, runaway Jane was during that first session and um new year's night which is on the first side is from the second session but uh, that would have been like really funny it's like side one one shot side two two (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of children i know you have to go but i man i'm so grateful that you that you took the time to talk to me and i I appreciate you coming on the show and and having a chat oh thanks so much no i mean it's uh it's so uh i think i mentioned it before but i don't really get to have this is the first time i've actually talked about the record uh with anyone and it's like one of the rare chances i have to like have conversations with like an adult person who loves music and uh knows you obviously know everything um, like, you, like you know the deep cuts of the roddy frame like what sessions he was like invited on um though like i i don't know like one of the another billy bragg like that album talking to the taxman about poetry johnny mars playing on that and i had no idea before that that like and it just makes Johnny Marr seem really cool that like he was like just as happy making songs with Billy Bragg as he was with like uh, the Smiths, you know, that he was just like, yeah, yeah man, I, I'll come and play guitar on this. That sounds cool. Like, it's like, it makes him seem, cause he has like a very like cool, like facade of like super cool looking British guy jangling perfect arpeggios and uh, with like that hair and everything. And then the fact that he's like down to do a Billy Bragg record, I'm just like, right on man that's that's cool so um you obviously know your stuff and it was like a it was a joy for me to be able to talk to you about some of the things i love too so thank you well thanks for thanks for uh you know doing it on our show i appreciate that and hopefully you'll come back on i'd love to thank you awesome have a good day What a nice guy. Very sweet, very honest, very forthright, very present, and very cool. And his new album is really phenomenal. Check it out. Go to thenatural.bandcamp.com. Be warned, the U is a V. Okay? So thenatural.bandcamp.com, but the U in natural is a V. I feel compelled to point that out because if there is 
unnatural at bandcamp.com where the V is a U, that's not Kip Berman. <laughs> so I want to make sure you are in the right place. Um, so go there, pick up the album, Tethers, and you can also get it combined with the More Than You Know EP. And uh, it's well worth your time. Easily one of my favorite things uh, in recent memory. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Uh, there is a new book, and uh, news will be forthcoming on that new book. So you've been <laughs> you've been warned. I'm about to talk incessantly about my new thing. That takes about six months for me to peter out. I just keep going, and then there'll be another one after that. <laughs> it's a weird cycle uh, that I've that I've uh, embarked on. But uh, there is a new book. It looks like it'll be the fall when the new novel comes out. It's a comedy. It's about a rabbit. That's all I'm going to tell you. But believe me, I'll be telling you a lot more in the coming weeks and months. Uh, BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. Find out what makes us tick. There's no intrigue about what makes me tick, but if you want to follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast, please do so. Or you can just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. If you're into the hat trick thing, do all three. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, maybe leave us a rating, a nice comment. Tell all your friends, whatever you're comfortable with. Even mess around with the order if you like. Tell your friends, then leave the rating, then subscribe. I don't care as long as you do uh, those four things. Or one of the four. Uh, one for four in baseball is not bad. I'll take it. Is that all the businessy things I have? God, there's always so much. Uh, I think that's it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to The Natural's new song, why don't you come out anymore? Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to our program week in and week out. We love you, and not in a weird way. Well, in kind of a weird way. Here's The Natural. I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Shell Radio.